You're going to forgive me tonight. I put that in handwriting at the top of my notes. Forgive me tonight because I know that the last time I was speaking on a Friday evening, my theme from seeing Jesus in the book of Acts, I covered the verses that followed on from the healing of the lame man. And I just couldn't get away from it since then. And as I begin to prepare again for this evening, I just felt that I had to go back to those verses again. And uh, I've got to be obedient to what I feel the Holy Spirit is prompted. And it is that as I go through tonight, I, I will be repeating some of what I said, was it two weeks ago perhaps, but I, I just believe that it's important and, and relevant for us. And you might remember that the last time I ended up just by comparing uh, verse uh, uh, 2 of Acts chapter 4 with verse 33 of Acts chapter 4. Verse 2 says, they were greatly annoyed, uh, sorry, verse 11, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Yeah. And then verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. What I mentioned last time was that those who were in authority, especially the Sadducees, because they did not believe in a resurrection, were annoyed with the disciples. And eventually they came to the point of forbidding the disciples to speak anymore to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. And what a position did he put in? But what were they going to do? Well, the scripture tells us that Peter and John went back to the other believers and they had a prayer meeting that became an explosive prayer meeting with the power of the Holy Spirit coming and shaking the building and filling the disciples and they went out with great power and continued to preach the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. And as I thought about these in authority, being annoyed of the preaching and speaking about the name of Jesus, and I've mentioned this again recently, so I'm repeating it more than once, society is no different today to what it was like back then 2,000 years ago. Whereas we, who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, would sing songs such as, Give me Jesus, or I need you, Lord. We know the need. We know that we need Jesus. We want Jesus. Society would say, we want nothing to do with him. The complete opposite. As I've mentioned again recently, society <coughs> is crying out in so many different areas to drive Jesus out. Get rid of Jesus. You remember what happened when Pilate called the people together and he said to them, what shall I do with Jesus? And the crowd that were lauding him just a few days earlier began to cry out, crucify him, get rid of him. And instead, they wanted a criminal to be released back amongst them. And as I thought about this, that this week, it's a little bit like the world today that we're living in. It is choosing more than ever to rejecting Jesus and instead 
it seems to be wanting to release what we are going to call, or what I'm going to call, demonic powers to do their evil intent in this world, especially that which is soul-destroying to our children in particular and young people. On the one hand, the world through the preaching of the church and through the message of the gospel is offered Jesus, the saviour, the peace giver, the one who forgives, the one who gives hope, the one who has the power to grant life everlasting. But no, instead society would rather unleash evil forces. Society would rather be bound to their addictions. They'd rather remain bound in their sin and live lives that are full of dread with no hope and uh, no future. And eventually to be cut off forever, separated from God. And we've only got to look at the world around us to see what's going on. And, and I've decided to look up some t statistics uh, on this. Our world is sin sick. And yet it doesn't realise it. It's sin sick and just doesn't seem to care. One statistic I've discovered is that in 2021, there were over 100,000 deaths in the USA alone from overdosing on drugs. 100,000 in 2021. And since then, statisticians tell us that the numbers for 2022 were higher and already rising more in 2023. I looked up for England and Wales because they keep different statistics for England and Wales from Scotland. In England and Wales in 2021, drug-related deaths were 4,859, which was a 6.2% yeah, increase on 2020. And it's increased in 2022 and probably increasing 2023. And what about abortion rates? Staggering. It's frightening. England and Wales, for the first six months only, January to the end of June of 2022, last year, there was 100 and 23,219 abortions. An increase of 17% from the first six months of 2021. It's horrific. It is horrifying. And in those numbers, 78% were from white women. 5% from mixed, 9% from Asian stroke Asian British, 7% from black stroke black British, and just 1% from Chinese or other origin. We can see how the world is devaluing what life is all about. 
And the reason why society is devaluing what life is all about is especially because the Western world is rejecting God. And if you reject God, your standards go out. Your morals go out. There is no difference between good and evil. You choose. You do what you want. Because there are no consequences. And yet, with all these horrifying details, you know, you could go further with deaths to do with alcohol and violence, crime, and everything else. And yet, with all these statistics which are being recorded and people can look up and everything else, so many still refuse to come to the one who is able to change not only they themselves as individuals, but the whole of society around us. In fact, we could say, mankind would rather spend billions trying to save the planet rather than to come to the one who has the power to save their lives. <clears throat> See, priorities are upside down. And going back to the accounting acts and the annoyance among the authorities for declaring Jesus, we see how they arrest Peter and John. Imagine the irony in it all. They, the authorities, in the whole of this situation, were actually the lesser powers arresting those who were speaking with authority from the greater power, the greatest power, because they were speaking with authority in the name of Jesus himself. And so as they try to condemn Peter and John, they are actually in turn condemning themselves because Peter says to them, listen, you rejected him. You're telling us to be quiet about him, but you're the ones who rejected him. And here, as they were condemning Peter and John, they were still rejecting him. But Peter says, you rejected him. But I want you to understand this. In your rejection of him, God has accepted him. And more than that, God has given him the seal of approval. And he's been given the name which is above every other name. And the only name given amongst men and women whereby we can be saved. Peter would say, you reject him if you like. But understand this, in rejecting Jesus, there is no other. There is no other. It is a simple and straightforward choice. Accept Jesus for who he is and for what he has done. Or be lost. Be damned for eternity. I mentioned this briefly before as well. But note what they have to say about Peter and John. They stand there condemning them. They stand there forbidding them to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. But it says in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognised that they had been with Jesus. I love that. Isn't that wonderful? They recognised that they had been with Jesus. And I put here, oh, if only men and women today could see us as as bold as they were and would also identify us as men and women who 
have been with Jesus. But I want us to look again in particular tonight because this is where I really felt the compelling pull of the Holy Spirit really was the prayer meeting that took place. Yes, I know that I covered it last time, albeit briefly, going through it rather quickly. But we need to see the urgency, as I've given those statistics, and that's just a tip of the iceberg, really, of what society is all about. That is, we need, we need to see the urgency of the hour in this day in which we live, where men and women are rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And where does the answer lie? Well, yes, it lies in the gospel. But I think there's something else in this prayer, in this chapter. So we're going to read verses 23 to 31 of chapter 4 of, of Acts. <coughs> now when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of their father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. First, before I move any further, did you notice that they prayed scripture? Does anybody know where that comes from? Why did the Gentiles rage? Verse 25 and 6. And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. It comes from the Psalms and it's Psalm 2 verses 1 to 10. But there are four things I want to bring out of this this evening. The two first ones I've put together. It's the place and the purpose. See, they came together to pray. But I want to ask a question. Where did they meet? Don't have to give me an answer. Where did they meet? Well, it wasn't in a church. It wasn't in the temple. You recall that the temple was actually the place where Peter and John were going to for the hour of prayer when all the trouble they got themselves into began to be stirred up. All we know from the word of God 
is that it was called the place in verse 31. The place. It is possible that the disciples and others with them may have still been meeting in the upper room. So it might have been the upper room where they were found on the day of Pentecost. Or it may have been one of the homes where we know from Acts 2.42 where they had been meeting together for devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. What is important is that it was the place where they knew the other believers were. That's the important thing. They went to the place where they knew the other believe where the other believers were. It says verse 23 when they were released they went to their friends. And I believe that friends in this context or in this instance must refer to their fellow believers as opposed to those who were enemies of the faith. Later in Acts, um, Peter had been arrested and he'd been miraculously released from prison, prison by an angel. And we can ask another question, what did he do? And the scripture tells us that he went straight to the house of Mary, the mother of John. And what do we discover was taking place in the house? It was a prayer meeting. Acts 12, 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. See, what we see straight away with this fast-growing number of those who have become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ was that they already realized the importance of meeting together and importantly within the context of what I'm sharing today the importance of being together to pray and we could ask well what has prayer got to do with my theme for the book of Acts of seeing Jesus in the book of Acts well First, the disciples here were in a predicament that they were in because they dared to believe and exercised authority in and through the name of Jesus. That's what had got them into trouble. Secondly, the disciples, these disciples, had already proven the power of and importance of prayer and of waiting in the presence of God in those days that were running up to the day of Pentecost. And thirdly, I am sure that although Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 had not yet been written down on papyrus or parchment, and they're verses we know very well, which I'm going to read now, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace 
to help in time of need. And so thirdly, I would say that the disciples already knew that the one whose name they'd been using in authority over the lameness of the man was also the one who was in the presence of Almighty God, ready to intercede on their behalf. And so they knew already their personal and collective responsibility to come to the throne of grace, to find help and to get mercy and grace in their time of need. And there is no doubt following on from their encounter with those in authority, they were needing it at that moment. They needed that help. They needed that mercy. They needed that grace. Because the enemies of the gospel were breathing down their necks and they were ready to pounce again at the first possible opportunity they could find to silence Peter, John and the other disciples. And I'm sure this evening that if we began to face opposition of a similar scale to what Peter and John had been receiving, we would be running to the place of prayer. We wouldn't be able to get there fast enough. But let's not wait for that to happen. Let's not wait for it to happen. We should be running to the place of prayer already, realizing the urgency of the hour for our nation and for our families, for our children, for ourselves and for the world. And so they went to the place, wherever it was, with the purpose or the intention to pray. Verses 23 to 24 says this. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, etc. So they went to their friends. They reported to their friends what had happened. Those that were present heard them. And then they got down to the urgent business of lifting up their voices together to God, recognizing who he was, sovereign Lord, and what he had already done, and believing that he will yet do that which he has purposed to do. I like the phrase that's found in those verses, they lifted their voices together. They lifted their voices together. Does it mean they all prayed all together, all at the same time? I think it does. I think it does. We could read it, they lifted their voices because they were together, together. But I believe that the matter, the, the, uh, the need was so urgent at that time, there was no waiting for one another. They lifted their voices together in the presence of God. There was no embarrassing silence waiting for someone to pray. 
There was no clock watching because all who had normally prayed had already prayed. They were united in every possible way to seek the face of God. And we don't know how long the prayer meeting took. It may have just been a few minutes. If we look at the prayer that we can read then, it would be over in a few minutes, but we're just getting the snapshot of what was said in that prayer meeting. It may have been a long time, but whatever mattered was this. They prayed and something amazing happened. It always makes me smile when someone may already be praying in a service, and all of a sudden, while they're praying, someone else, and it's usually because they haven't heard that somebody else is praying, also starts to pray. And when you're at the front, it's quite comical because you suddenly see all these looks. As if, what's going on? Someone's already praying. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I think it would be wonderful that there would be so many of us gathered here together, there wouldn't be the time for us to pray individually, but that we would all pray together, lifting our hearts, lifting our voices, not necessarily having to listen to each other, but just making God to God known. Those which those needs that are urgent and so desperate amongst us. I, quote, I mentioned once before, others might not have been here, but I, I, I befriended some gypsies once in Rill, uh, travellers as you call them, with their caravans, and, and I, I went down, there was a new KFC, and I don't know why I'd gone down to the KFC, it was probably to pick up something for one of the children, and uh, as I went down to the KFC, there was this area that had been um, cordoned off because there was going to be some building work done on there, but these travellers had got on to that. And the children were playing around and everything else. And I parked up and pulled up and parked up and got out of my car. And the children came by the fence. And I just began to talk to them and just to befriend them and everything else. And in the conversations that's happened with the children, one of the mothers shouted out with a strong Irish accent and everything else. And I said, it's okay, I'm just talking to them. And she came over and uh, I introduced myself. And it turned out that these were traveling Christian gypsies. And so I, I, I went into the caravan and spent some time with them. And then they were moved on from there to a little place a little bit closer to where our house was. And once they were there, I made two or three visits and I went in and spent time with them, praying with them, had some prayer meetings together. Uh, and I was intrigued because they moved on again. And I heard that they'd gone on towards Queen's Ferry which is just about the border between England and Wales. And then I discovered that there was a gypsy church in Connors Quay. So I said to my friend that lived in Flint, which is by Connors Quay, I'd like to go to this prayer meeting. I don't realize time's going on, but don't worry. And uh, I went to this prayer meeting. We understood it was gonna start at half past seven. So we got there because he told me he understood that lots attended this church, this gypsy church, all gypsies, all gypsies. So we got there early, we walked into the church, and I was just gobsmacked. We were there about 10 to 7, quarter to 10 to 7. The meeting starts at half 7, and the people were already in there. And the people were already praying. And as we waited there in our seat for the church, the prayer meeting to start, 
they came and they came and they came and in no time this place was packed with gypsies who were on fire for God and the chap that was leading the meeting just began to say something and it's just like this uh, we read on in the scripture it was all together with one voice they were just beginning to pray and for an hour for an hour I just could not believe it it was just like one voice lifted up praising praying worshipping the Lord and then after a certain time it all came to a silence and the meeting came to an end and they dispersed to wherever their caravans were or whatever but it was amazing absolutely amazing to me that's what prayer should be and prayer meeting should be and we pray that God would increase our numbers so that we can be like that lifting our voices mm -hmm. together prayer is so important I decided to look how many times in the book of Acts there was any reference to prayer and for ease of use I used the Strong's King James Concordance instead of going through it verse by verse which I have done in the past and uh, then considered each reference in the English Standard Version, as some are used in the King James Version with the sense of a person asking or begging, I pray you to do something for me. So I've got to just move them to one side. And so what we find is the, <coughs> the word pray is three times, prayed 14 times, prayer six times, prayers twice, praying twice, and a good old fashioned King James word um, prayeth just the one time so prayer was so important throughout the book of Acts so the place and the purpose the power verse 31 says and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and we could say hang on a minute they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought that that happened on the day of Pentecost. Well, yes, it did. But they needed a new anointing. They needed a fresh infilling. They needed the necessary grace and the mercy to meet the need that had presented itself at that moment. And as they cried out, God heard them and God answered them. I mentioned last Sunday evening, I think it was the words of that older chorus, bring your empty vessels. Now that wasn't in my notes on Sunday, it just happened to come out as I was speaking. But I put it down as I prepared for this evening this week, because I think uh, it, it's important that we realise how much we need to keep bringing our empty vessels for a new anointing for the days in which we are living in and for each day that we are living in and I know I need to I need to keep bringing my empty vessel and thank God for the anointing that has been on our lives or upon our preaching and even upon this fellowship in the past but we need what God has prepared for us to receive today and so we need to we must keep presenting ourselves like empty vessels to be filled anew and yes we can do this when we are alone in the presence of God but it should never be one or the other for we should also be desiring to do it together as a company 
of God's people, seeking his anointing upon us collectively as a body of believers who we are set together as living stones to be the church here in this place. And then the final thought, the proclamation. Well, the latter part of verse 31 says that after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It's as if you're not going to stop us authorities. You try as hard as you like. You're not going to stop us because the more we come to the place of prayer, the more we're going to be filled and the bolder we're going to be to speak. And so they continued. They went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. So what we could say is, going back to verse 4, the priests, the captains of the temple and the Sadducees had failed miserably. Failed miserably. They'd been determined to silence and to stop the disciples. But they were not the ones in control. God was. And so with great power, verse 33 says, the apostles were giving their testimony to the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. They continued to preach. They continued to declare Jesus and his resurrection. Just notice here that verse 33 mentions two greats. Great power and great grace. There is no power that is greater than the power of God. However we want to describe it or define it, if we think of his power with his creative power, it's great with all that he's created. Or we think of his power in the realm of the power of the Holy Spirit. Or there's God's power that we see that is in the name of Jesus. Or his power that is the power that is in the blood of Jesus. And we could put together a list of all the known authority powers that we see in this world of ours. We could think of electric power. We can think of air pressure power. We can think of oil pressure power. We can think of water driven power. We can think of human power. We can think of demonic power. Put them all together and they are insignificant compared to the greatness of the power of God. Because God is greater and mightier than all. And the wonder is that he is willing as we come and seek him to send this power into our hearts and lives so that we can be strong and we can be bold to stand up against all that the enemy of our souls would want to throw at each one of us. But not only does it say great power, but it talks of great grace. And his grace is great. His grace is great. And we thank God for his wonderful grace. Yes, we have received it, in particular his saving grace. But if we want more grace to help us in our time of need, then we need to be willing, and we have to be willing, we must be willing to come to the throne of grace. And as God gave great grace to those in this wonderful, powerful prayer meeting here in Acts chapter 4, so he can give it to us as we learn to come to the place of fully trusting in him and of depending upon him. Not one of us, I don't care how long we've been on the Christian road, have strength sufficient in ourselves to stand. We need his great power 
and we need his great grace in our hearts, in our lives, and upon us as a company of God's people today. So I pray that these few thoughts just be a challenge to us, and we'll think of them and act upon them so that we will see God coming and moving amongst us like we've never known before, and we'll see things happening, and all to his praise and his glory. Amen.